Would you stand with Paula? We're going to read from John 20 and also 1 Corinthians. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Thank you, Paula. You know, I think this is a God thing because, you know, we're going through the book of John. Last week we covered the trial of Pilate, not of Jesus. Remember, it was Pilate that was on trial, not Jesus. Uh, This week we're on the resurrection in light of uh, the deaths and the tragedy that's been going on in our community. This is like Easter Sunday. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was just a week ago. Like I said before, I got a call from Nancy and said James was in an accident. We didn't know for sure what had happened. And soon after that, at the hospital, we found out that uh, James was killed in a crash. And I knew James when he was four years old. I knew his mother. I knew his grandmother. And you know how it says when Paul is writing to Timothy how, you know, I saw, you know, your, your grandmother's faith and your mother's faith, and now that faith must be in you. That was like James Radke. He was just a little... A little boy always had a smile on his face, and his mother uh, just shined with Jesus in spite of her struggles, physical struggles. She had diabetes, and her legs eventually were both cut off, and eventually she went blind. This was James' mother, but she still praised the Lord all the time. I remember her doing children's minutes, and teaching the kids uh, songs about Jesus. So thank God for the gospel that we have. Thank God for the resurrection. You know, death, it seems so final, doesn't it? You know, we've all buried loved ones, maybe a husband. Maybe you've buried a wife, maybe a son or a daughter, perhaps a little baby, maybe a grandparent. You know, we've all been out to the graveyard, haven't we? Memorial Day and other times during the year. What do you really believe about death? What do you really believe about resurrection? May I say today to you that it's not what you believe about death that really matters. It's what you believe about Jesus Christ because you see, if Jesus died and stayed in the grave, there is absolutely no hope. But if he died and came back from the grave promising the same kind of eternal life, To those who believe in him, then there's plenty of hope. There's plenty of reasons to celebrate. 
Did Jesus really rise from the dead? You know, a lot of people in our neighborhood, they're atheists, according to the statistics. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in this uh, supernatural Jesus rising from the dead. Did he really rise from the dead or did he not? Well, the facts, I think, stand on their own, so allow me to deal directly with Jesus' resurrection and let me leave the verdict with you. And I want to turn quickly, before we go into John 20, back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And I want to start here with a comment that Jesus makes to a group of men uh, whose hostility is growing against him. Now, they're arguing over theological questions, and they're soon to take issue, really, with his life, and they will soon put him on a cross, and Jesus talked to these He talks to these guys uh, intelligently about his life and about his future. Matthew 12 is a chapter that's just growing hatred. And finally, verse 38 sort of reaches a climax where they say to him, give us a sign. Give us a sign. You see, in their mind, uh, there was a model of Messiah. And they envisioned him as one who would come, you know, on this gallant white horse and break the Roman yoke that was upon them and would set them free politically and fill their stomachs forever and would give them a vineyard that would never be less than a bumper crop. They wanted a sign. That didn't require any faith. They wanted something sensational and they wanted him to put on kind of a fireworks show for them so that they could just ooh and ah. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, the Jews, they asked for a sign. The, the Gentiles searched for wisdom, and here they're asking for a sign. It was some of the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 38, it says, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now his answer is kind of uh, couched in a rebuke. And he said to them in verse 39, He said, an evil or a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And by the way, that's still true. It's a sign of an adulterous and wicked and evil generation that keeps wanting sensational stuff. I'm not against sensational stuff. I like it. But for God to keep proving himself, keep showing himself as God, Keep doing those super amazing things that just make us gasp. And Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm leaving you with one sign. No sign will be given you, verse 39, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. That's the sign. You know, they knew of Jonah. He was one of their prophets. They had the scroll. It had been carefully preserved for them. It had been passed on, handwritten. They could read it for themselves. But he quotes it to them. And he quotes from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in a whale's belly. Uh, Most versions just say big fish. They don't say whale. We always say whale, but big fish. And here's the sign. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, Jesus predicted right here in a very uh, clear, unmistakable terms, his resurrection. Whatever it is, it's not unclear. It's not vague. Jonah was in there three days and three nights, and then he was out. So shall the Son of Man be. Meaning what? Meaning three days and three nights in the heart, in the belly of the earth, and then I'm out. Death will not hold me. 
Jesus spoke of his resurrection and the sign of Jonah, but now we have to come to terms with the resurrection itself. We're moving many days, in, in fact months, from Matthew chapter 12 to, to John chapter 19 and John chapter 20. We come to this corpse on a cross. That's kind of a blunt way to say it. We come to this corpse on a cross. But that's exactly what it was. It was a feast day to follow. It was against the Jewish rules and regulations that a corpse be left on a cross, that anyone deal with the dead during a Passover and during this festival time. And so there was some concern about getting him down off the cross and getting him into that tomb. Today I want us to put on our Sherlock Holmes caps and almost in kind of a detective fashion investigate this beautiful story of the resurrection that we don't have to wait till next April to hear. <laughs> and I'm going to briefly look at uh, the resurrection from four different angles. Uh, the certainty of his death, the material evidence at the tomb, the physical appearances that Jesus made, and the historical results. Angle number one, the certainty of his death. You don't have to worry about a resurrection if you don't have him actually dead. And we'll see that he was. All four Gospels give at least a paragraph, most of them two paragraphs, to the actual death of Jesus. John 19, 38, 39, and 40. Let me read that to you. It says, Later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And then verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial custom. So here are two secret admirers of Jesus who are no longer secret, and they have the task of actually embalming the body of Jesus, and they wrapped Jesus up kind of like a mummy, and the spices were kind of tucked into the folds there, 75 pounds worth, and I think it provided some adhesive and also aroma to take away the smell of the body. I mean, who else was buried that way that comes to your mind? Um, Lazarus, right? In John chapter 11, it says that Lazarus, I mean, there were strips of cloth wrapped around him. My point is this, if there was a sign of life, They would never have followed through with that embalming. I mean, these were friends. They didn't want him dead. There was no sign of life. And then look back to John 19, 30 to 33. Let me read these verses for you. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found out that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So these soldiers had one assignment in crucifixion detail. The assignment was to make sure the people who were nailed to the cross actually died. 
And if they were not dead, they broke their legs so that they would soon suffocate. And the soldiers saw Jesus and realized he was dead already. And so they didn't need to break the legs of Jesus. They didn't realize it, but they were fulfilling scripture that says not a bone of his body is to be broken. But just in case he wasn't dead, look at verse 34. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Jesus is dead. The testimony of the soldiers, the testimony of those who embalmed him, he's dead. It's an undeniable fact. And if you take the evidence that's here, found in Scripture, the certainty of his death, I mean, you still have your Sherlock Holmes uh, hats on. Let's look at not only the certainty of his death, but the second angle I want to look at is called the material evidence at the tomb. The stone was rolled away. Why was that? How could that have happened? The tomb was empty. Where'd the body go? And there was an unusual appearance of what was found in the tomb. Remember the women? They ran, ran back to the disciples and they said, hey, go see where they laid him. But he wasn't there. What seems so interesting? What seems so intriguing that they would say that? John 20 helps us perhaps better than any of the other gospels. And I want to reread the first five verses of John 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So what they saw were uh, the linen wrappings uh, that had been about the body of Jesus, but there was no body inside the wrapping. It's kind of like uh, when I would go down to visit my grandpa and grandpa Mata in Gardner, Illinois, we'd hear the locusts. And these, these, these bugs are like beetles almost. They'd crawl up a tree, and then the locusts would come out of the shell, but the shell would still be on the tree. And that's exactly, I think, what they saw in the tomb. I think it was amazing to them. It was intriguing to them. Read on, and you'll see. Look at verse 6 and 7 of John chapter 20. It says, Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around his head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So John won the race to the tomb, but Peter, he went in first. And he saw the, the wrapping on one end, and he saw a space where there had been probably a neck, and he saw a face cloth, but look at the word that John uses when recording it. It had been there. It, it was there, and he was there, so he ought to know. Look at verse 7. It says, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. In other words, not lying together with the wrappings, but rolled up, uh, folded up in a place by itself. There were the wrappings, like the mummy-like, uh, locust shell-like wrappings, and there was a face, face cloth that was kind of in the shape of a head, but there was no head, and look at John's response in verse 8. It says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. 
He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. Now, if you were a detective, I mean, looking for evidence and trying to answer what's happened, you'd probably, you know, if your heart was soft and you were open to truth, you would have been forced to do the same thing. I mean, the last thing the Romans wanted or the Jews wanted was to have the body removed. They were unable to come and take the body. I mean, what good is a corpse? And furthermore, when the message of the resurrection was later declared, no one then or since has ever presented the corpse. I mean, all the Romans or any other of the critics would have had to do when dealing with the message of the risen Jesus Christ is to say, hey, the body's over there. And someone finds the body and completely annuls the message of the gospel. No one in history has ever presented the corpse of Jesus Christ. No one. He is gone, and John believed. The certainty of his death, the material evidence at the tomb. And on top of all this are the physical appearances where Jesus came, and he actually appeared. I mean, there's uh, probably 11 specific manifestations in the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament of appearances of Jesus Christ. And this is angle number three that we want to look at. He walked and he talked with people, you know, before he ascended into heaven, after he resurrected, but before he ascended into heaven. He taught and he opened up the scriptures to the disciples. And Paul said that he appeared to over four or 500 brothers at one time. You know, so there's 500 hallucinations. That doesn't happen. 500 people who were seeing a ghost? Hardly. Three of those post-resurrection appearances are recorded in the remainder of John chapter 20. And you can read it for yourself. I mean, there was Mary. She was crying her eyes out until Jesus called her by name that same day. Sunday night, Jesus walked through a closed door. And he appeared to those fearful and troubled disciples without Thomas. And he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. And I tell you, they were overjoyed. And then a week later, he appeared again. And this is recorded right here in John chapter 20. This time, Thomas was there. Remember old doubting Thomas? And he invited Thomas to touch the nail holes in his hands and to thrust his hands into Jesus' side. And we don't really know if Thomas did that or not, but we do know that he confessed, my Lord and my God. If you ever wonder what your resurrection body will be like, why don't you study the body of Jesus after his resurrection? You'll be able to talk. You'll be able to move rapidly through space. Uh, closed doors won't be a problem for you. Uh, he ate. He remembered. They recognized him. I mean, the whole structure of his body, the molecular structure of his person was changed. And so it will be for us on Resurrection Day. I want to look briefly at the historical results, and I call this angle number four, because there is the transformation of the disciples. Wow. Men who had been so fearful. I mean, those disciples were running in every direction. You know, they strike the shepherd, and the sheep scatter. And they were very fearful, and they changed into men of incredible courage, 
Their lives are just changed. Their lives are transformed. And then there's also not only the transformation of the disciples, but there's the descent of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said, you know, if I don't go, if I don't leave this earth, the Spirit of God cannot come, and we know the Holy Spirit has come. And there's the church of Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ continues to flourish this day, to this day, albeit sometimes it looks a little crippled, doesn't it? But it's not waning, it's waxing. It's not decreasing, it's increasing in significance. And people like you and me have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have experienced the transformation more than simply just a psychological change. And it's the work of God, it's the work of the Holy Spirit because Christ has been raised from the dead. What are the lasting benefits? I think they're twofold. Jesus' resurrection assures me that I'm forgiven. You say, well, how does that work? Well, if I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven. God's acceptance of Jesus' death is proven by raising him from the dead. When God raised him from the dead, he said, in effect, that death is satisfying to me. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 that Paul just read? If Christ be not raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins, implying now that he's raised, you're no longer in your sins. Had there never been a resurrection, Jesus would have simply died in vain, but he has been raised, and the resurrection is proof that we who are in Christ are forgiven. I think equally important, his resurrection assures me that I too I, too, will be raised after death. I tell you, that's the greatest hope that we have. I tell you, I've seen God take a a life that's absolutely dead in trespasses and sins, and I've seen him make that life alive, make that person alive in Christ. I've seen God take a dead marriage and just breathe life into that marriage. Because he's God. I've seen God break into a life of a family uh, that's dead and headed for hell. And given that family life and purpose. And given that family agape love for each other and a reason for living. I've seen God raise the dead. But the greatest hope I think I've yet to experience when God literally raises my body out of the grave on that great getting up morning that Christians call Resurrection Day. That's going to be the greatest. And my only hope is in Jesus. And I believe in the resurrection of the body because Jesus has been raised. I will be raised too. Time and time again, first fruits is used in the Bible. We're not familiar with this term because we don't use it. First fruits is kind of a sample of more to come. You know, my mom, to her own admission, she wasn't a very good cook, but she, she did make some good pies on Thanksgiving. Very good pies apple pies 
pumpkin pies. And um, you could smell pie all over the house on Thanksgiving. And I would, I can remember as a little boy just begging for a piece of pie before the big Thanksgiving dinner. Mom, please, 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 please. And she would say, after dinner. Why don't you bake it after dinner if you're going to serve it after dinner? You know, please, Mom, please. And she would just cut me a sliver, just a real thin piece. And it'd be so thin, if you turn it sideways, it would just disappear. It was a small, tiny sample, really, of what's to come. And John writes in his first letter, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm I'm reading from the old King James. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I want to challenge you in the next couple weeks or maybe sometime this summer, go out to the graveyard and just walk around. Maybe you've got somebody in that graveyard that you, uh, you know, honor their life by putting flowers on their grave. It might be to your mother's grave. It might be to that son or daughter's grave. It might be to that loved one's grave. And you think about the Christian's hope. You know, one day, resurrection day, the graves are going to open up and God will raise my decaying body from the dust. Why? Because he promised to. But most of all, because he raised up Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of the body. What what a wonderful hope. What a grand hope that we have as Christians. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you today for that hope that goes beyond our ability to see. We are therefore forced to believe, having not seen, and it stretches us beyond our, you know, rational logic because faith defies that kind of logic. It forces us to believe. And some here today who hear the words of your truth need to hear these words much more than others because they live alone today when they once lived with somebody else. And the horrible loneliness at times is more than we think we can bear. Wives who have said goodbye to their husbands. Mothers who bury their babies. Husbands who have said farewell to their wives prematurely and all of us, having lost someone dear, find ourselves cast upon the facts of your son's resurrection and there and there alone we find hope and we find encouragement to go on for if Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. Would you touch us today, God, with your very presence, Jesus, that you promised when two or three meet together, you said you'd be there. Thank you for the encouragement such a message brings that we who are believers, we love you for telling us about your son's resurrection. And those who still struggle with the truth need these facts to work through their decision for Christ. Cause both to happen. Christians to be encouraged and those without Christ to be brought again face to face with the truth 
for which they must answer. Father, send us away with encouragement into the day. Remind us that we serve a risen Savior. And because Jesus lives, we can too and we can face tomorrow. And Lord, I thank you for this awesome hymn that we're going to sing while we receive your tithe and your offering. And before that, Lord, uh, I pray that if there is somebody here that just needs to turn from their way and come to you, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that they could say, you know, it was that, that day in July. I just remember about the resurrection, that Jesus, I really believe that he really did rise from the dead, and he died for my sins, and he was dead, and, but he came alive, and he conquered death, and, and I just believe. I just say, I'm sorry, Lord, for going my own way, and I'm sorry for trespassing your, your perfect law, and I believe that, Jesus, you died for me, and you rose again, and I just say, please, come into my life. So, Lord, uh, I pray that we could honor you by the way we live and by the way we treat others. Lord, that people would recognize that, boy, uh, Jesus is alive because I see him in that person. I see him in that person. I see him the way he treats his, his family. I see him the way he treats other people in the church. God, I pray that people would look at all of us at Calvary and say, you know, Jesus is alive here. He's alive. Father, I thank you for this opportunity now to bring to you the whole tithe to the storehouse and to bring our offerings to you. And to declare together with one voice, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen.